0: All right, people, welcome to Peeps Creek, the cafe where you can sit at our table, order your favorite drink and listen to some slightly intense, but definitely worthwhile conversations, a podcast where you can drink, listen and converse. Today, I am joined in the cafe next to me by Christian. Say hello to the people, Christian. Hello. We are having a virtual guest well she's been on here for forever and a day but she is here virtually not here physically that is denise say hello denise
1: hey guys you should actually make me a co-host
2: you are a co-host
1: you should have two co-hosts and a host
2: oh you are a co-host at this point
1: i know right i've been here so many times that i by now i should have the title should be denise
0: Okay, and so today I am drinking on coffee in the cafe. Christian, what are you drinking on?
2: I'm drinking on some
0: juice. And Denise, what are you drinking on?
1: I'm actually, because you guys lifted the ban on Starbucks, I am drinking Starbucks
0: caramel macchiato. All right. So, you know, here at the cafe, we always have conversations centered around drinks. So if you are over the age of 21, you can get you your favorite alcoholic beverage. If you are under the age of 21 or you just don't feel like drinking, that's perfectly fine. You can get you some water, some tea, some lemonade, some coffee, or some H2O. Okay. So are we ready ready to go into the conversation today?
2: Yes.
1: So... What's on the menu today at Peeps Creek? Hot stuff coming up.
0: So, on today's menu is reviewing 13th. So. Very quickly, for those of you who don't know what 13th is, 13th is a, a documentary that is on Netflix, and unbeknownst to me, I actually thought it was fairly new because I didn't find out anything about it until this year. But it actually was um, released in, I believe, 2016. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it's a documentary by Ava DuVernay, um, where she is focusing on the 13th Amendment, and specifically a loophole within the 13th Amendment, which kind of spearheaded this whole perspective of mass incarceration. And of course the mass incarceration um, centers around individuals who are African American and brown, so Latinos. Um, And so it just goes through a, a, it goes from the beginning of time when we were in slavery, black folks here in America, up until now, and now AKA is in 2016 when it was passed. Um, So, yeah, so we are going to review it, talk a little bit about it and go from there. So first things first, let's just say, Denise, did you enjoy the documentary overall?
1: I did. Um, It had an impact on me because there were a lot of things that I was not aware of. It made me want to go research and kind of educate myself a little bit more. Um, I also felt it was so powerful like it was just amazing to see, and I guess amazing may not be the right word, but it was to me it was just powerful to see what goes on, and either we put a blind to ourselves or we just don't pay too much attention to it, so yeah, I liked it
0: And what about you, Christian? Did you enjoy it
2: same as denise i um did enjoy it a lot I learned a lot I It refreshed my memory on things that I learned in school too But they just never went into death about it um, So It did teach me a lot And I thought it was very um, Informative Good.
0: So for me I, I call myself knowing a lot About um, black history And I feel like I do I know um, a lot But there's so much I don't know um, and there were just aspects of things in this documentary that I nuances that I never really pay attention to, so I learned a lot as well. And it confirmed and re-educated me on things that maybe I forgot about or I just put to the side. So I just thought overall it was a good documentary. So the way that we're going to do this, we're going to actually discuss the documentary in the in the manner in which we felt. The manner it was presented, but we, we, we're going to break it up in that regard. So the first thing is that the documentary opens up with what I consider some powerful statistics about individuals in jail. I don't know, Denise, do you remember the statistics that they um, opened with? Yes. Two point
1: three million.
0: So in 20. So the way it opens, it, it tells you it starts off with in 1972. There were three hundred thousand individuals in jail in America. Then it's paralleled that to two thousand and sixteen, the time that it was um, published or whatever. And it Denise the amount that Denise said, the two point three million individuals in the United States are currently in jail. And it also indicated that of that, just put some perspective on it is that the United States population of itself only represents 5% of the world's population. So those who live here in America represent only 5% of the population throughout the entire world. But currently, we house 25% of those who are in jail in the world. So just think about that. We only represent overall, everyone here in America, 5% of the overall population in the entire world. But we have 25% of the world's jail population here in America, which I thought was very, very powerful Um, statistics. I don't know if Christian or Denise, if you wanted to add to that.
2: No, yeah, it's uh, insane. The fact that it's 25 percent, that's like a quarter of the whole world. It's um, Mm -hmm. they also mentioned how it was like one in every four human beings are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just insane. They're incarcerated for some of them, at least, for, like, petty crimes.
0: Yeah. Denise, anything you want to add to that before we move to the next one?
1: No. Um, I think you guys have said exactly what I'm thinking. I, I do say I do want to say, though, that I like how before it went into a different topic, it actually highlighted and kept on, based on what they were going to talk about, it kind of highlighted the pop, the person population at that time. So I kind of liked how they did that.
0: Okay, so there was one part of the um, the episode where before, right before it got to the part where it talked about the Thirteenth Amendment, where there was this individual who was saying um, that white individuals today are a product of the history based upon choices that their ancestors made, whereas. Black individuals are the product of the history based upon choices who um, were made by individuals most likely not their ancestors. And I thought that was a, a pivotal moment, a powerful moment to then transition to the 13th Amendment.
2: Yeah, I, um, I wrote that quote down as well. Yeah, yeah I, I actually liked
1: that guy I, throughout the whole thing. That He was the white professor. And it was, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it was impressive. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, wow, I highlighted his name.
0: Good job. All right. So the 13th Amendment. Christian, do you want to discuss the 13th Amendment?
2: All right. So I actually Googled it. I knew that it freed everyone, but I didn't know about the loopholes and stuff just because they don't teach you that in school. Um, But I Googled it and I got the actual definition and it is. Neither slavery or, nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the U.S. or any place subject to their jurisdiction.
0: So the 13th Amendment, you said freed free everyone. So I just want to be very specific. The 13th Amendment was strictly in regards to slaves. Yeah. So those who were slaves were black folks at the time. Um, so around 1865 is when this amendment to the Constitution passed, and there is this loophole. But except as punishment for a crime whereof the party shall be duly convicted, so basically what that loophole does, according to this documentary and according to history, is that it allows slavery for those individuals um, who are convicted of a crime a- as a punishment. But part of this, the issue here is that after the Civil War. That loophole was exploited so much as a way to try to continue to have slaves to help with the economic um, upbringing or rebuilding, particularly of the soft during the after the Civil War, um, because blacks were then being charged with, I mean, stupid crimes whatsoever, so that they can be considered a a, a convicted individual, and as punishment some kind of involuntary servitude was pushed on them, which is like the chain gain and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, anything you want to say, Denise, about that?
1: Yeah. Um, so I knew the 13th Amendment, but I did not know about the loophole. So I'm not sure if you even know the answer, right? Maybe I should have researched it. How, if it wasn't because of this documentary, I think I, I wouldn't still know that loophole was even there so exactly. did something trigger it that then someone said oh wait this has a loophole or it was known the entire time you understand what i'm trying to ask
0: well, no i get you I, I mean i can't really i don't know the answer to that because i wasn't there at the time but here's what i can say is i think that because the constitution when it was created it specifically cut out black individuals from the equal rights and liberty um, that white individuals enjoyed. So my thought process would be, is that this was a political move, a to to get slaves free, but also to satisfy those individuals who wanted some kind of means or effort to find a way to continue with the economic economic upbringing of the country. So I, I if you ask me, yes, I know, I believe they knew what they were doing when they actually put that loophole in Um, and so I don't know if you all seen some of those movies and I I never dawned on me into this documentary I love Nina Simone and one of her songs is talking about the chain gang and part of that is that prisoners were used to like build the railroad so in order for us to get transportation from one side of the country to the other we had to have railroads because that's what was. That's what was the means of transportation. The easiest way to do that is to have those individuals who are convicted of a crime do it for free. Because, and then you won't have slavery or you won't have involuntary servitude, but it will be part of the punishment. You, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, because they've said that um, about bridges as well, that some of these bridges have actually been, you know, they've been created or whatever the word is by people in prison.
0: Right, exactly, and there's a lot of um, prisoners who are helping companies even to this day, um, yeah. with products and things of that nature, and they're not really, excuse me, if they're getting paid, it's pretty much nothing, and quite frankly, they don't, they're not obligated to get paid for those those services either. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, did you want to say anything else about?
2: Um, Yeah, basically what you were saying about how once this 13th Amendment was passed and white folks started targeting specifically uh, African Americans, it was um, to basically, once again, strip the rights away. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, I... Never would have thought of that until this documentary.
0: Right. And then like if you think about some of the key words in that amendment have been duly convicted. So the one of the notes that I wrote when I looked at the looked at the documentary is that I said, if we're in 2020 right now and we still can't get a fair shake in the justice system, what makes us think back then? Any African-American who was who was charged with any crime will have any fair shake. Of beating that crime, I mean, nine times out of ten, the justice system is going to be against them, and I think part that's a theme that was throughout this documentary that I thought was very well done um, to highlight how it crossed from even then to now. Um, but yeah, um, and then that they, that went to the discussion about Birth of a Nation, which was a movie. Um, blockbuster film, yeah. <laughs> um, Denise, you want to talk about Birth of a Nation? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I will say it's a movie that I didn't even know existed. Sad to even say this, um, but I did Google it. Um, it was created after the civil war, civil war. I can't say the word civil war.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, war. It
1: chronicled the the movie was created to chronicle the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, but also the relationship of two families in the Civil War and the Reconstruction era. Um, But it was controversial, apparently, even before it came out. So I guess while they were making it, it was controversial. And to this day, it still remains um, one of the biggest controversial movies of all times because of how they... um, depicted or is that is that a right word how they yeah. portrayed um african-americans um so they were portrayed as not being intelligent being sexually aggressive towards white women. um there were scenes on that movie that they presented that were just like wow crazy because they have the white apparently everyone that was um black or african-american was actually painted
0: yeah. So you, that is called blackface. So that's why even before I mean, even after this, the movie the in the movie industry always had used white um, actors to portray black individuals and they would put them in blackface um, and put, you know, large, big pink lips on them and things of that Mm -hmm. nature because the caricature of African-Americans was to depict them as stupid, um, insane. And like you said, um, sexual deviance. I mean, that was one of the biggest things that this movie tried to portray is that you need to watch out for black folks because they're going to come for these innocent white women, right? Um, And they had that picture or that image of the lady who was on the edge of the cliff and she decided to jump off the cliff in order to avoid being um, raped, raped, "Quote unquote" by a black guy, um, but it, what I never knew—I mean, I knew about the movie, I knew about how it depicted black people, but what I never knew is about the president at that time, <laughs> Woodrow Wilson. Mm-hmm. Do you do what what? Do you remember that part, Denise?
1: I do. Um, before we actually go into him, I, I also want to to mention something that they mentioned about. This movie gave popularity to the Cuckoo's clan, the KKK. Um, it yes. almost kind of made them heroes or, or such, however they mention it there. But I just wanted to mention that because that's something I did not know. And it kind of made an impact for me. So if anyone's listening, if not, you know, that something that they want to know. But anyway, so yes, yeah, so it was a first major blockbuster um, and he actually was he the twenty-eighth president?
0: I don't know what number he was. I, think I really so. don't care, honestly.
1: He did a private screening at the White House. They called it history written with lightning. Um and yeah. So that's what Woodrow Wilson did.
2: <laughs> I do want I do want to add back to what you were saying about the film. Um bringing back the kkk um i don't know if those are the words that you use exactly but um that's what i got from it because it started it made like lynching and all that like look Mm -hmm. okay because they showed it in the movie too and i was like wow i've never seen the movie i didn't know about it till now um same here but i thought it was crazy and the fact that a president would show a screening insane
0: so, um, Birth of a Nation, Denise and Christian already um, indicated that, but the way that I categorize it is that it extended the ability for whites to have um, justification to use vigilante justice. So, the KKK, you had folks who felt that um, lynching was appropriate. In fact, I have a, they put in there a, uh, A fact that I never knew that at the 1924 Democratic Convention had 350 delegates who were members of the KKK represented there. So these are individuals representing putting people in the government um, to ensure that they maintain this kind of white vigilante justice perspective. Um, And I, I don't think you've ever seen it, but I actually have a book over here. Um, where it's all about lynching. And if you look at it, it's just pictures of lynching. And what you would see throughout the book is how white folks at that time would be like literally rushing to take these pictures, like posing with a dead body hanging from a tree um, back in the time. And so that's why there was this song called Strange Fruit, which was this jazz song. But it's all about people in the, you're going through the soft and you just see all these different things hanging from the tree, you will think that they're fruit, but they're black bodies. Um, so it's just kind of crazy. And then from there, you stem to the government actually deciding, well, we're gonna put our hand in this and make it actual. And then you had, that goes into the Jim Crow perspective, the segregation, the separate but equal um, aspect. Do you all want to add anything that you learned from that part of the documentary?
2: I mean, I always know about segregation and all that. Um, I I don't really have anything to add in regards to that. There was um quote or someone in the, I didn't write the name down, but there was something he said that was justice too long. Delayed is justice denied. Um, that stood out for me in the film.
0: Martin Luther King. Yes. So that, yes. Denise, anything on that?
1: Yeah, um, like Christian, I knew about segregation, but the Jim Crow, th- th- did I say that right? Jim Crow yeah, law Jim Crow. was something new for me. Um, there's one of the um, people that actually talk, which is, um, I want to say it's Michelle Alexander. She's the one that's doing the, she did a book already, I believe, for the new Jim Crow era or something like that. Um, but that was a part that was new for me. Segregation was something that I always knew of, but not that. Um, so I was glad that it was mentioned because it kind of gave me the opportunity to kind of do a little bit more research. Um, did they also mention uncle Remus after the birth of a nation? Do you guys remember that part?
0: I don't remember what, what, what was said.
1: Well, it was just the, the fact that, um, he, ha- he made books. This is something I didn't know. They mentioned that name. And so I was like, because it was um, Jelani Cobb who actually mentioned it after, as he was mentioning the birth of a nation. So I wanted to just find out what it actually was. And it was a professor, I believe it was, I think that's what he was, a professor who created fictional stories of a black American character. It was like folk tales, if that's how you pronounce it. Um mm-hmm. And it was he wrote he wrote them to represent the struggle in the southern U.S., specifically in the plantations. He himself um, worked at the plantations like an I want to say intern, but it's probably what we consider like an intern at this time. Um, So he wrote like eight or six books about it. And there was even um, uh, not movies, but like shows made out of it. So I didn't know that. That was something that yeah, was either. new for me to know.
0: you know that about? Um, well, look at you taking notes and actually paying attention to that documentary. Yeah. I tell
1: you, Thanks it was op- powerful.
0: Good. All right. So then that goes into the whole civil rights movement, right? We talk about the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Um, essentially, if you think about it, that occurred nearly one hundred years later after the Thirteenth Amendment was passed. So, black folks still trying to thrive and get their position, and in that, you you saw how many of the individuals um, tried to turn the fear of being um, imprisoned into a badge of honor in a sense of during the Civil Movement civil rights movement, many African-Americans were saying, you are going to put me in jail because I'm going to stand here and I'm going to try to get what's mine. I'm going to stand in this line to vote. I'm going to sit at this counter and attempt to um, get served. I'm going to drink at the white water fountain. I'm going to try to go to this school that you've designated as a white whites only. Um, And folks did it non-violently. And again, I also don't want to make this seem as if this documentary attempted to to say that you know because currently we're still in some some form of civil rights rights a different a, a different formation of it but because individuals are not are no longer necessarily um, tuning in to the nonviolent aspect of it I don't think this documentary is trying to place one over the other. Um, but historically, at that particular time, the Civil Rights Movement, a lot of it was nonviolent. Um, and so it showed that those individuals were taking that as a, a badge of honor. But here, I think, is when the documentary really focuses on its premise about mass incarceration, because then we go into the law and order aspect with the Southern strategy and with Nixon. Do you all remember that?
2: Yes.
0: So... Um, Nixon had a, a strategy in place where his goal was to bring as many whites into the Republican Party as, as possible. And so he was focusing on um, uneducated, poor white folks um, in the soft to try to get them to recognize um, that blacks, the LGBT folks, folks who were out here fighting for women's rights and folks who were against the war were evil. Do you all remember that?
2: Yeah. Mm hmm.
0: Okay, so do one of you, Denise, Christian?
2: I actually did not write any notes about that. That's the one thing I missed.
1: Well, I didn't write about specifically about that. Um, okay. Uh, the only thing I wrote about Nixon that kind of had the impact on me was the statement that was made by his campaign person.
0: By his advisor, John Ehrlichman? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, so before you get to that, though, so Nixon coined the concept of law and order and he also coined the concept of war against drugs War on drugs or war on drugs um um and so they started the concept of a lot of federal spending during his administration for local police um to get them equipment that they don't need, (laughs) but apparently the focus was to try to get folks to recognize that certain folks in the community just were not good for them. And so do you want to say the quote from his, um, advisor? Did you write it down, Denise?
1: I did. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So this was in 1968. Um, he said the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon white house after that, had two enemies, the anti-war left and Black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or Blacks, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and Blacks with heroin, heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about drugs? Of course we did.
0: Yeah, so that, you know, to hear someone in the presidential campaign, the advisor to the president say that they created this hodgepodge of nothingness with the intent of trying to vilify vilify a, vilify a group of individuals, it's just, it's disheartening, A, mm-hmm. and it should be something that individuals should recognize is a consistent part of policies. They don't they don't need to necessarily say the N-word anymore. They don't need to necessarily say, you know, this, that, and the third, because they find other ways to, in which to capture these po- people into a certain group so that their base knows what they're saying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then... And then that spilled over to Reagan, um, Ronald Reagan, um, with his war on drugs um, and and using his wife, um, Nancy Reagan, as kind of the spokesperson for that, because, you know, it was all about just say no. I I don't know if you all Denise, you should remember at that time. Right. You remember those commercials with the egg. This is your brain. This is, a, this is your brain. This is your brain going to crack and scrambled and all
2: that. <laughs> I do want to say something, though. Um, right before Reagan, they showed a, um, an update on the prison rate. And this is 1980. It went up to 500,900 prisoners. Yeah. So it almost doubled.
0: Yeah, from 1972.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, Sean, I... Um- um, I do remember the "Just Say No," but that video of the man with the egg throwing it, saying, "This is your brain. This is drugs. This is what you, what your brain does if you use drugs." I'm like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> like, I had never seen you don't that rem- video. No.
0: I used to that used to, that commercial used to come on all the time. Um, I used to remember. I remember it all the time. All the time. Um, I am Sorry, it down. but um, so. Reagan really, it was during Reagan's administration that the war on drugs really took a high level because this is where you had crack and then you had crack cocaine, right? I mean, excuse me, you have cocaine, then you had crack cocaine. Now, crack cocaine is a substance of cocaine, okay? Cocaine is powder, it's considered more sophisticated, it's it's considered a white people's drug. In fact, Newt Grant. Gingrich, who used to be the um, leader of the House during Clinton's administration, actually said that cocaine was a suburban issue, so aka white folks, right? And crack was an urban issue, aka black folks. Now, sitting here today when he made this video, he said, we should have treated them the same, right? But they didn't, because in Reagan's administration, this is where um, one ounce of crack would get you, you would have to have 100 ounces of cocaine to get the same treatment as a person who only had one ounce of crack. And mind you, crack was rampant in urban communities because it was more readily available, it was cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some people said that it was the government who actually put crack into the black communities and the urban communities. I don't know. I do know a lot of the Black Panthers at that time um, did take that perspective that it was the government who who infiltrated the system um of the communities and put it in there but yeah so it was this time where the war on drugs really took a, a head um and really like vilified the urban communities i don't know if either one of you want to add to that
2: no i agree with everything you said um he really took it to the next level and yeah another reason why mass incarceration mass incarceration increased right and poverty rates increased as well
0: right and then this is where reagan's campaign manager came into the picture lee atwater um and mind you reagan was in the 80s so we are way past 1865 and this guy says he was called on tape saying you start off by saying the n-word the n-word the n-word by 1968, you can't say the N-word th- that hurts you. It backfires. So you stay. You say stuff like forced bussing, states' rights, and all that stuff. You're getting so abstract now. You're talking about cutting taxes, and all of these things you're talking about are totally economic things. And the byproduct of, of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. Do you remember that part?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And it's just like, It's sickening that you create a political system where the focus is on hurting a group of your constituents. It's just, it's, it's asinine. Like I just, anyway, um, go ahead. We can move on from that.
1: But I also wanted to, to just highlight something that Angela Davis said, which was that the election of Ronald Reagan in a way was transformative, but negative, it wasn't really positive. Um, he also yeah. promised tax cuts to the rich, putting all the crack um, users in jail, which at that point started, you know, like breaking families apart, if you want to call it that way, because that's when you know, it started the mass incarceration started kept and, kept on growing with people going to jail. Um, this part is what makes the whole I mean, I wouldn't say makes the whole but it just opened my eyes to so many things politic, politically wise if that's a proper way of saying it um mm-hmm. so i i agree with you i think this part was very very informative and very good it was really good
2: yeah okay, so no, sorry. um
1: so what, what about the caucus
2: we were just saying about how he made he was trying to let prisoners out of prison on the weekends and I guess this went on because Willie Horton got out, and um, he was a prisoner that um, was in there. Um, I'm not. Did it say where he was?
0: I, no. No? I, I think it okay. was, like, Massachusetts or something.
2: Well, he basically gets out, and he goes and rapes a white women, woman, and he killed her boyfriend, was it?
0: I don't know who he killed, but someone was murdered.
2: Yeah. Um, and <laughs> well, basically, this is where that whole... Super Predator started and then long story short, he lost obviously, and Bush the first one. Any yeah.
0: else? Yeah, but but that's true. But the thing was that the the I guess one of the most pivotal points about that is that they use Willie Horton to get Bush to win because that before that he was not winning. Um, and people didn't think he was tough enough on crime. But then what they started to do is start to sensationalize this particular crime. Now, the same Grover Norcus guy um, was, was adamant that it was the Democrats who actually sensationalized Will and Horton's name. And no one disagrees that both sides talked about this crime but what matters is that the Bush administration or the, the campaign decided to sensationalize the image. And so it was the imagery that got individuals to think okay, oh my God, we can't have this type of thing. We got the same predatorial perspective from African Americans, they're beasts, they're animals going and parallel that back to the birth of a nation and then parallel that to the fact of this is how we treat these individuals. This is because of because this is what they will do. And so then it became this whole predatory, super predator concept. But it's all about the imagery.
2: Yeah.
0: Um that was that was splashed across the, the news on that. Because that was just one case. I'm not saying that he did not do it. And I'm not saying that The crime wasn't bad, but this is one crime out of the entire nation, right? And I'm sure there were other crimes by other races similar to that, but they decided to highlight this particular crime, right? Um, And so then you go into the whole discussion. They went into the whole discussion about super predators and how at this time the imagery that you saw on the news constantly was black kids, um, younger kids in handcuffs committing some kind of crime um and so they were naming them super predators and newscasters were calling them that it they even had hillary clinton out there saying it on the news um, other folks were using it and this is during the same time where the central park jogger situation occurred where um those african american latino men young boys two of them at the time several of them at least two of them were under the age of 18 but they were convicted of 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 Brutally raping this jogger in the Central Park, Um, and so this was during the time where Donald Trump took out the page ad saying we need to bring back the death penalty because these boys um, should be executed because of this crime, and you know these folks spent six to eleven years in jail before it came out that they didn't commit it; they were exonerated. They they were not the individuals. Um, who committed a crime, but it was the sensationalization of this super predatorial perspective that caused people to be sensationalized with that. Um, and so then we go to you've been saying this all uh, several times, Denise. So you are going to talk about this. Um, we go into the Clinton era um, with his perspective on the tough on crime. um, um um, what am I saying? Bill. Bill. Well, it wasn't really a bill. It was just like an act he, or whatever. Yeah, he was. He basically was saying, you know, I'm a Democrat. I I too can be tough on crime. Um. So you want to talk about this? Is the three strikes, the mandatory minimum, the truth and sentences, the 1994 crime bill, all that?
1: Yes. So I may be all over the place because my notes seem to be all over the place. Um. But so we have this crime bill that. Uh, Clinton signs into law in 1994. Um, Later, years later, admits that it was a mistake that he did. Um, I do want to mention that I didn't know this. I actually didn't even know about this crime bill. But one thing that I wanted to highlight is that it's apparently the largest piece of criminal justice legislation today. Did you know that?
0: Wow that's debatable now because trump recently passed something and i don't know how much it overhauled it but remember this movie was passed i mean published in 2016 the crime yeah
2: yeah i before you go on to like the three strikes and you're out i do want to because i did i didn't really know about the crime bill either and then i googled it and um i didn't know that it also um included um Funding for the Border Patrol and Immigration and Naturalization Service, so basically like immigration and all, you know. I didn't I didn't know about that. I thought it was just like for federal penalties for crimes and stuff, you know.
1: No, I'm glad you mentioned that because what it did was is that it created 100,000 new police officers, which means new jobs for police officers. Um, it created a 9.7 billion in funding for prisons. And 6.1 billion in funding for prevention programs signed by experienced police officers. Um, so it, the the bill had stuff about federal assault weapons ban, federal death penalties, um, elimination of higher education for inmates, violence against women acts, ag, so on and so forth. Um, and then. And it it may be all over the place, Sean. So you can kind of stop me if I'm not saying it correctly. But I know that I don't want to say that this is what created it. But I know there was some type of controversy because of the murder of Holly Klaus. Polly. I'm sorry. It's not Holly. It's Polly. The,
0: The young girl.
1: The young girl. Yes. That was kidnapped from the sleepover. And then... Um, the, the report of her kidnapping only went out in one channel and it didn't actually reach other parts of California. So this one lady saw this vehicle in her home, call the police. Actually, it wasn't the lady. It was the nanny. They called the police and they, the person was actually the guy that killed the girl. But because that news report had not gone out in that area, the police didn't know that they, that's the man they were looking for so he apparently had the body with him at the time and everything so that is what seems to have bought the California three strikes law um, I, w- I don't want to say that's what made it um, the law but that's part of the controversy I don't know if you guys remember this part
0: yeah but
1: uh, I, so I, sorry you were going to say something
0: <laughs> no
1: Oh, so the California three strikes law was it also enacted? In but 94?
0: I do want to say something. I'm not sure that three strikes in you is only. I don't think that's only in Cali. There are other states that have done that as well. Yeah,
1: there's
0: Virginia. Guess- Virginia has it. New New Mexico has it. Other places have it. Um, and I want to say federally, there are some federal aspects that if you get three felon felonies, you go away for life as well from the felony standpoint. I mean, from the federal government.
1: Yeah. And I only mentioned California because, again, it's the controversy between that that case and that case was in California. So that's why I say the California. But you are right. California is not the only state. There are many other states that actually have that law, but it was enacted in 94. It required defendants that were convicted of any new felony, um, having suffered one prior conviction of a serious felony to be sentenced to state prison for twice the term otherwise provided for the crime. Um, so in the wake of that murder, politicians in California and other states started supporting the, the three strikes law, which you guys know by now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Anything else?
1: Um,
0: so why you looking? There are two pieces that I, I think we need to highlight, particularly the mandatory minimum, which is part of this whole Clinton era, as well as the truth and sentencing. So. If you remember, there was this, there was a, a altercation, I call it an altercation between Bill Clinton and Black Lives Matter when he was screaming at, screaming at the Black Lives Matter protesters when doing Hillary's campaign. Do you remember Mm -hmm. that part?
2: Mm -hmm. All right. Yes.
0: So part of the, many of the individuals in the Black Lives Matter movement um, are blamed, um, a lot of the mass incarceration on this 1994 crime bill because of the mandatory minimums, the truth and sentences. So with the mandatory minimums is, is that federal judges, basically what they're saying is, what happens is federal judges don't have discretion at this point. If you commit a crime and it's, it's one of the crimes listed there, that's the sentence that you're going to get no matter if it's your first time ever being in trouble or it's your 50th time being in trouble. So they took away the discretion from the judges who arguably, as this documentary makes clear, are supposed to be impartial um, fact finders. They can, they can sift through the law. They can sift through the facts and make a determination about what's a fair sentencing. And a lot of federal judges have complained about this aspect, that their hands are tied. But what the documentary, I think, does a good job at, of showing is that Yes, the federal judge's hands are tied, but not the prosecutors, because it's the prosecutors who have discretion on what to charge individuals with. They can have discretion to bring a charge or not bring a charge. They have discretion to charge them for this particular federal crime or not. Um, and one of the statistics that was brought up is that 95 percent of those prosecutors are white individuals. And so these are individuals who may have un. Conscious bias against certain groups of individuals, and I think statistically it has shown that the mandatory minimums and the discretion about what to charge people have shown that African Americans and brown people have have um, carried the larger weight of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was something that was very important there. And then the Truth and Sentencing Bill. Now this is one of the bill, one of the aspects of it that I really forgot about until the documentary and the Truth and Sentencing aspect of is before this bill, if you got 20 years, you know, and maybe four or five years, you can go on parole. Right. But what the truth and sentencing bill said is, is that if you get 25 years before you even think about a concept of getting parole, you have to spend 85% of that in jail. So it was a way to elongate sentences. It was a way to ensure that these prisons are filled with individuals. Um, and that just created this whole economic buildup for privatization of of, of um, prisons because you make money. The longer these people are in here, the more money you are going to be able to make um, based upon your, your contract or what have you. Um, so those are two aspects of that. Of bill clinton's error that i really wanted to highlight because i think those are two of the most important things that have caused situations where black and brown folks are in jail for an insurmountable amount of time for some of the stupidest crimes non-violent crimes at like that um so yeah i wanted to highlight that
2: yeah and then he later w- went on and realized that it was a mistake and apologized like publicly allegedly Alleg- i'm like i saw the video and i'm like he didn't sound sincere at all
0: no he was screaming
2: yeah <laughs> screaming at the black lives back
0: you got this old white man screaming at you which is for me and i like clinton but this was i felt like towards the end he just just did not have any of the knack that he used to have like you an old white man screaming at these black folks who are telling you that your bill was fucked up like you you don't get to say you know, you now realize that it's an error, but yet you're screaming at the people because they're upset that you didn't have the the forethought to think about the impact before you went out and spearheaded this bill. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, the, the imagery was just annoying. Um, and then I think there's two other things that we need to talk about because this documentary, there's a lot. But I want to talk about... Um, how the documentary focused on how the federal government put its one of its largest law enforcement agencies against um, dismantling um, black leadership in the community. Um, and we're talking about FBI and this was particularly during Hoover's um, administration. Um, but you know they, they mentioned how Martin Luther King Jr. had the FBI after him how, the, how Malcolm X had the FBI and local police actually in his entourage. Like, they had people undercover in his entourage as an attempt to try to dismantle his leadership. Um, they had, I think her name is, a, is it Asati Shakur? Asatu
2: as- Akur.
0: That's Tupac's mom. But how when did that? you say her first name? I forgot.
2: As- I don't know. I said Asatu.
1: Isn't it a, a, a Asada? Asada
2: Shakur? Yeah,
0: it's like Asati. It's an A at the end. Oh, maybe it corrected me. Yeah. Right um
2: angela davis
0: but back to her though she she went to jail Mm -hmm. she was in the black liberation movement but folks got her out of the jail and took her to cuba so she's currently still in cuba um the black panthers then we have angela davis
2: she is i i didn't know anything about angela davis until this documentary and then the way she just walked into that court i was like wow and and
0: mind you, she represented herself. Yeah, I mean, this lady went into this court. She was not a lawyer. Went into this courtroom. They were trying to put her away for life for some some bullshit ass charges on guns and things of that nature. She went in there with her afro, her black her black outfit. She, she put her fist up. her fists up when she came in the courtroom. And anyway, she got out. Um, and then you have, of course, you have the Black Panthers, right? Um, they wanted to infiltrate the Black Panthers everywhere, um, and then Fred Hampton. I don't know, Denise. Do you want to talk about Fred Hampton or Christian?
2: He was basically—he was so young. It's so sad. It was a—he was a 21-year-old activist at the time of his death. Um, he was also a member of the Black Panther. Right? Yeah, he was um, the head of the Chicago he office. He basically somehow like people just. Realized that he knew what he was doing, and he was able to bring in all types of racists, Latinos, even white people, um, to fight for the injustice for the African Americans. And he was killed in his own house while he was sleeping next to his pregnant fiancé. Was it wife or fiancé? I
0: don't know, but wife, fiancé, girlfriend. She was
2: pregnant. She was pregnant, and in the documentary, it shows four white cops carrying his body out and they're literally smiling at the camera. And that's just, it's ridiculous and disgusting.
1: But I also wanted to say how um, I found impressive that these individuals were so young, especially Angela Davis, because she was, but the way she talked, the way she mentioned how they would ask her about the violence and she would think about, you know, how her father would have, I think, was it the guns or something, how they knew the four girls. And it was just so impressive to hear her. And just to kind of my imagination, go back to think about those times and her being that young, but yet understanding so much. And even like Sean said, representing herself, she did that because she knew what she was doing. You know what I mean? It's like, it would, it would make such a difference. We have so I'm not gonna say it would make I want to say is, we have so many young people nowadays that know so much that are for the cause yet we don't take the time to listen to them.
2: Right? No, no, I agree wholeheartedly.
1: When you when you guys were talking.
0: And, and just for clarification or, or edification, the four young girls that you're referencing is the 1963 16th Street um, Baptist Church bombing, which was in Birmingham, um, where white folks had bombed the church hoping to kill some of the black leaders in that particular area. But instead, there was four little girls playing in the basement, and all four of those girls died. Yeah. Um, so that's what that's referencing. But I do want to say one other thing about Angela Davis, and it goes right to your point, um, she, she, when they talked about violence, they was asking her about violence, particularly, you know, how can you support blacks being violent, essentially? And she basically just said that's an incredibly selfish question because you all basically taught us violence. This is what you have been doing in our community since we, since uh, our existence. And I want to say that because that parallels to Tamika Mallory. She's an activist. Mm-hmm. Um, currently who was one of the women who did the women's march and it there was one speech that she did doing it was either um in, in, in reference to george floyd or what have you when folks were talking about the looting and basically what she said is how dare you talk about violence you taught us violence from the beginning you ripped us from our homes you ripped us from our our families our mothers our fathers you placed us in fields and beat us and then you put like fire holes on us like this is what you have taught us as a as a country that the only way that the best way to act is through violence and then that goes even further where you have your president who was campaigning where he was inciting violence against counter protesters who were typically african-american in in his in his crowds and this is like it's so frustrating and it's 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 annoying that people don't connect these dots and turn a blind eye to it you know what i mean yeah um but but i i thought that was was great and so alec who is alec i, I now i would tell you that i thought i knew a lot i knew nothing about alec I knew into nothing. this documentary
2: so i do want to say the definition of alec it's the american legislative exchange council is That's Alec. It's a non-profit organization of conservative state legislatures and private sector representatives who draft and share model state-level legislations for distribution among among state governments in the U.S. And that means they basically write laws and give them to mostly Republicans Mm -hmm. so they can pass it as their own.
0: Right. I mean, word for word, basically. Like, you just... And a lot of corporations were part of Alec, Walmart, Target, I think. A lot of them. Some of them got out. I'm not going to take the time to sit here and list all of them out. Look at the documentary. It shows you them. Um, you should be able to go to the website. Although I tried to go to the website. It doesn't really show you who are the members, like corporations. Yeah. I could not find that. Um, but, yeah, so some of those... Important bills that we've already discussed came from Alec. The three strikes came from Alec. The mandatory minimum came from Alec. The Stand Your Ground Law, which was the law that allowed Trayvon Martin's murderer to get off, um, was written by Alec. The privatization of prisons, they they wrote legislation to privatize prisons, that was written by Alec. I do understand S- SB 1070, which is the Arizona law that allowed them to say, Hey, you look like an immigrant, show me some papers. That was written by Alex. Sorry, go ahead.
2: I was about to say that.
1: Well, to wrap up, just watch it. You know, um, my manager kept saying, She kept telling us, You guys have to watch this documentary. And honestly, if I'm honest with you guys, when I heard 13th, I honestly thought it was a scary movie because of Friday the 13th. So I was like, I'm not gonna watch that. But she kept on saying, you, got, you guys have to watch it. It's powerful. Then one of my coworkers watched it and he was like, which actually he watches the show. So, hey, Howie. Um, but, but he watched it and he was like. Shout out to,
0: what, what is his name?
1: His name is Harold, but his nickname is Howie. We, we gave him that nickname. How, Howie. Oh, Harold, Harold.
0: Shout out to Harold. Go ahead. So
1: once he watched it, I was like, you know what? He's saying it's good and I kind of trust you know, his his thing. So I'm gonna go and watch it and I'm glad I did. Um, I had the kids, well, I had Dorian watch it with me. Um, next on the list is actually gonna be Davian. Um, but I wanna just end my portion with saying that we need to educate ourselves. Election is coming up. We can't just go out there and vote based on what we hear based on what we don't like we need to think of our future and by thinking of our future we need to research we need to understand what it is that those that are um up there to be president. how are they going to help america not just bring it down so educate yourself before you actually go out there and vote
2: great question um no i was actually going to say go vote as well um if you have privilege to go vote do it and do it wisely um and again like you said just educate yourself i'm still educating myself and it's a long process like there's so much you need to learn and it's just a lot yeah
0: and um as you can see we we between the two of us the three of us sorry we we took a lot of notes so there's even some stuff that we have in our notes that we just couldn't discuss um, so don't think that it wasn't organized. We actually followed the way that the documentary went through. But there's just so much information to cover. Um, and I'm not even sure everything is going to make the cut because we've been talking for almost two hours. <laughs> well, actually, an hour and a half. Um, and of course, we're not going to pull all that out. But um, it, it, it is it is a powerful documentary. I want to thank Christian and Denise for participating. Um, but yeah, so we appreciate you listening out. Continue to listen, drink, and come. Uh, wait, continue to drink, listen and converse and make sure that you subscribe, comment, like and subscribe, comment, like and subscribe. Follow
2: the Instagram. Follow It'll the Instagram.
0: Page three.
2: Oh, and the Twitter. Don't and the Twitter. About
0: Twitter. I know we're, we're trying to do more with that. <laughs> um, but until next time. Oh, oh, my gosh, She's so annoying. <laughs> until next time. Peace. Oh, let me just say this. We recorded multiple episodes today, so if you see the same outfit, it's because it's doing it the same day. All right, peace and love. <laughs>